So you might have noticed that Kathy Hunkel and I have kind of this running joke that when I come up the steps into the chancel area, we both look at our watches and every once in a while, I surprise both of us by actually being on time. Like today, right? Good job. But time is a big deal for all of us, isn't it? Because even if you're retired, you still live by the clock. Like the great poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, so what is time? The shadow on the dial, the striking of the clock, day and night, summer and winter, months, years, centuries. He said, but these are but the outward signs of the measure of time, not the thing itself. We have a hard time maybe defining exactly what it is, but we all know that we really do live and work and die by the passing of it, don't we? In fact, I've heard many of you say that you're busier now than when you were still working, right? And for all of us, when that alarm clock goes off in the morning, we're off onto another day just watching those minutes slip by never to return. Because if you think about it, even the moment that I began speaking is already part of your past. And it just keeps going because we have appointments and meetings. We all like to eat at a certain time. We've got to watch our certain TV programs at a certain time, right? Unless you know how to use the DVR, but we have the kids for that. And we plan for our day to end at a certain time. And so bound as we are by our timepieces, it often seems like our every moment is synchronized and controlled. But what's really amazing to me is when you study the life of Jesus. He never seemed to be in a hurry. He never seemed to run out of time. Even though he was coming to earth doing the most important job in history and coming to redeem the world, knowing that he only had a few short years to do it, knowing that he had a preordained schedule to keep, and yet he always made time to consider the flowers. He always made time to watch the birds of the air. He had time to stop and put his hands on little children and bless them. He had time to spend it at weddings and parties and in long conversations with all kinds of people. Time, time wasn't his enemy because, brothers and sisters, our God is always right on time. And we're going to see that today in our text that comes to us from the Gospel of Mark and talks about the time that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Mark writes, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe the good news. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So Mark starts out this account by telling us that after John the Baptist was arrested and in prison, that Jesus returned to Galilee. He returned from having gone out 
into the wilderness to be baptized by John, and then from going even further away to be tempted by the devil. And now, after all of these events have taken place, he's going home. He's going back to where he grew up. And that's when he begins to preach the gospel, the good news of God's love. And he says, the time has come. The time has come. And in his announcement about this being the time, Jesus said, and Mark recorded a very particular word that I want you to take notice of. Because when we see the word time in the New Testament, it's a translation of one of two Greek words. It's either chronos or kairos. So chronos is where we get our English word chronology from. It's uh, the time on my watch, or maybe the time on Kathy's watch. I'm not sure which. <laughs> if it's time on the move, it's, it's the idea of time passing from present to future and then becoming your past again. Kairos, on the other hand, means the appointed time. It's a, a quality of time rather than a quantity of it. It's the sense of like a significant occasion. It's the idea of something happening in your life and it comes just at the right time. And it's meant to communicate to us in this verse the idea of God's time because it's his eternity breaking into our now. And that's the word being used here, kairos, just at the right time. And every, every time I, I read that, it reminds me of the first time that Vicki and I had a chance to attend a, uh, a Pentecostal church here in Florida, and the choir did a song by the American gospel writer uh, and singer Dottie Peoples. I think I shared this, this verse with you one more time, or this, this song one time before. Uh, it's a song called On Time God. Anybody know that one? All right. And the chorus goes, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Right? I love that song. Right? It's the idea of why later the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans chapter 5. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at what? Read it with me. Just the right time. He came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Because though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us, read that one too, while we were still sinners. That's just the right time, isn't it? Because you see, that wasn't our timing, but God's perfect timing for Jesus to do the work of redemption here on earth. Telling the people of his day and in ours, now is the time. Today is the day. Repent and believe the good news. And if you're not sure what that means... It's just like we read last week in our responsive reading from the Westminster Catechism. Remember, I asked you question number 85. I said to you, what does God require that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? And you read back to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin. God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life. But what in the world is that? What exactly is that? What is the repentance unto life that's necessary for salvation. Because many people understand that term repentance that we get from the Greek word metanoia to mean to turn from your sin. But you know, as important as that is, repentance does not mean that you simply stop sinning. But it means rather that you start by the grace of God turning to the only one who has the power to enable you to do that. 
That's the biblical definition of repentance. Because in the Bible, the word repent really means, just like I told the kids, to change your mind. To change your mind. In other words, to repent in relation to salvation is to change your mind about Jesus Christ. To change your mind about who you think he is and what he came to do. And it's an important distinction, so I want to give you a couple examples from Scripture to show you this. If you remember the Apostle Peter uh, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, he concludes this great sermon, this message of his, with a call for the people to repent. This is what he says in Acts 2. He says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we read that, what, what was it that Peter wanted the people to repent from when they asked, What should we do? Right? Did Peter say, uh, okay, you need to repent from lying. I'm not pointing at anybody specifically. And you need to repent from greed, and you need to repent from murder, right? And then go on down the Ten Commandments. No, he didn't do that. Peter is calling the people who rejected Christ to change their minds about him and to recognize that he was indeed the Lord and Christ. He's calling the people to change their minds from rejection of Christ as the Messiah to faith in him as a Savior. Because that's the first step in changing anything else. As you see, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. It's absolutely impossible to change your life and place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior without first changing your mind about who he is and what he's done. Because without changing your mind from rejection of Christ to faith in Christ, as the Holy Spirit leads you to do that, there's no other way to go. That's why it's crucially important that we understand that repentance is not a work that we do to earn salvation because none of us could do that alone. No one can repent and come to Christ unless God draws that person to himself. That's why Jesus told us in John chapter 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I'll raise them up. And that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, he said, and you all know this verse by heart, I'm sure. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you see, repentance is something God gives, and it's only possible through his grace, because being a Christian is not a self-salvation project, but an appeal to the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ as our only hope. Because otherwise, left to ourselves, none of us could change ever. None of us. No amount of therapy, no amount of willpower can help. For the simple reason that before Christ opens our hearts to the gospel, all of us, all of us were caught in some type of bondage that we couldn't get ourselves out of. And just think about it for a minute. If people really could change themselves by themselves or by any other means, why don't they? Right? Why don't they? Why don't we see that happen in humanity and with individuals? Why don't we ever see the world improving? Because it certainly isn't. For you folks that are interested in sociology or in history, you remember that 
The great hope of modernity was the world would become so educated and so enlightened that there would be worldwide peace. That hadn't happened, has it? Remember, Karl Marx said communism would bring about a utopia. But in the history of mankind, no communist state has ever existed that's even come close. Right? Silicon Valley tells us every day that technology will make our lives so easy that we'll be living the dream. But the thing that all of those ideas forget is that to make any of them work, there's always people involved. And as the old saying goes, anytime you have people, you have problems. Right? Like the businessman who, who uh, was asked how he enjoyed his work, and he said, it's great, except for the employees and the customers. Right? It's great, except for the employees and the customers. Because people have their own opinions and agendas and, and their own motives that no amount of education no political ideology and no amount of technology will ever change. But the good news is that what's impossible with man is possible with God. That's why Jesus comes on the scene at just the right time and he speaks to our hearts and he says, change your mind. Change your mind and believe the gospel. Not because we're good enough. Not because we're smart enough or sinless enough to figure it out on our own. But just to receive it. Because he loves us. That's why Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the path to repentance begins with hearing that call and acknowledging you've been caught in sin. Acknowledging you can't free yourself from it. And then appealing to Christ alone for deliverance from its guilt and power. And once God has wrought that change in your heart, that's when you begin to see the change in your life. The change that will lead you away from the things that previously had led you away from God. And that happens because while repentance of specific sin is not a work that earns salvation, repentance unto salvation does result in good works. Does that make sense? We can't have good works to earn our salvation, but if we've got it, we do them because we have it. That's why John the Baptist, who was arrested at the beginning of our text today, called on people and said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he's talking about producing all of those fruits of the Spirit, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Produce those fruits. You see, a person who has truly repented from rejection of Christ, of faith in Christ, will give evidence of a changed life, a life that's turned from sin and that turns away from those sins in sorrow and in contrition for how we've messed our lives up. Recognizing that we have broken God's commandments. Recognizing we haven't loved God with our whole hearts. And recognizing as we pray every communion Sunday that we definitely haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, have we? And then we own that and we confess it. And we do that because once Christ has changed our hearts, we can't rationalize or excuse our sins anymore. We can't compare ourselves to other people focusing on how bad they are and using God's word as a weapon to beat other people up. But instead, taking it and reading it and using it as a mirror to hold up in front of ourselves to see how far off the mark you and I are. And recognizing our need and our powerlessness before the righteous throne of God if we had to go there without Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But thank God that's not all it says. Thank God Jesus has another word for us today. And it's this. Believe the gospel. 
the good news, the glad tidings of God's favor. Understanding that favor toward lost folks like you and me. And that's something to rejoice over. To rejoice that God doesn't only have words of judgment to speak to us, but that he also speaks words of salvation and grace and words of comfort and consolation because his gospel is not just some vague pronouncement of I'm okay and you're okay. It's not just God's a nice guy and he'll give you a pass and a pat on the head. It goes much deeper than that. It's much more beautiful and meaningful than that. It's got more specific content in it than that. Because even though the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness comes to us absolutely free, brothers and sisters, it involved a tremendously great cost. The cost of God's one and only Son, who is the heart and the center of this gospel, He's calling us to believe in. In His person and in His work, Christ is that specific content of the good news. Because it's who Jesus is and what He's done that makes the gospel good news. The good news of Jesus that we read about this morning, who is going around Galilee preaching and, and teaching and healing and telling us that He is the very Son of God come in the flesh. Come down to bring salvation to the lost. True God and true man. All at once our brother and our Savior. Because as our brother he fulfills the law on our behalf. Always doing everything right. Living the way man was intended to do. And as the Son of God as our Savior. As our substitute. Taking that punishment that the law requires for lawbreakers. Even though he had no crimes of his own. And he bore that sin not just on his shoulders as something separate from himself to carry, but in his body on the cross, actually becoming for us everything that God loathed. That's why as, as part of the Apostles' Creed, we say that Christ descended into hell because in that moment on the cross, God saw in him the sins of all of us. Right? And we read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul wrote, For he, meaning God, hath made him Jesus to be sin for us. Not just to carry it, but to be it. To be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And, and we only become that righteousness as Christ sheds His holy blood for our forgiveness and for our cleansing. And then receiving that gift through faith. That's why Jesus says, believe in the gospel. And it's not just knowing it in your head with no connection to your life, but rather it's to put your trust and to believe to put your trust and to believe in Jesus Christ and in his gospel. It's to know in your heart that this is your only hope of righteousness before God. To believe in the gospel, to change your mind, to change your mind about whoever you think Christ is if it's not the Christ presented in the gospel. If you think he's just a historic figure who had a great influence on Western culture, you've got to repent and change your mind. If you think he was just a, a good moral teacher, you've got to repent and change your mind. And if, heaven forbid, you think he was just a fairy tale to comfort and control the uneducated masses, you've got to repent and change your mind and trust in Christ as your Savior. Take refuge in him today. Hear his voice. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. And he'll save you. He'll save you from yourself by faith. Faith that is worked in you by the Holy Spirit through the ordinary means of grace. And that's what we get together to do every Sunday, right? To receive that ordinary grace that God makes available through prayer and through the preaching of the word 
and through the reading of Scripture and through the receiving of His sacraments. And, and as we do that, Jesus has one more thing to tell us today, and that's follow me. Follow me. Just like He said to those fishermen way back then, calling them to be His disciples, calling to them and to us to follow Him by faith and to learn from Him. To learn to grow in wisdom and in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to learn what it means to be a Christian. To learn what it means to be a follower of Christ in your daily life. Now that that call of Jesus to come and follow Him has become a part of you. Not necessarily that that call from Him would mean that you change your career like it did for the disciples, right? To change your vocation and, and go off and do something else. But at the very least, it needs to transform yourself. The way that you see yourself as a, a man or woman of Christ in every aspect of your day. That it would change the way that you're a member of a church. That it would change the way that you're a citizen in society. That it would change the way that you're a family member in your relationships with husband and wife or parents and children. So it doesn't just include your everyday job. It doesn't just include what you do as a student or your retirement activities. Because in all of these spheres of life, Jesus is calling you to learn to live his life of love. To love your neighbor. To care for one another. Forgiving one another when someone's wronged you. Taking the initiative to seek reconciliation with relationships that you've strained. And then you'll be living out that witness, that mercy, that life of Christ. And all of this packed into those words he says to us today, follow me. Follow me. Because brothers and sisters, Jesus comes to us today here in this place proclaiming the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And hear his voice and heed his call as Jesus comes to us here in our Galilee. As he comes into our ordinary lives, to our fishing boats summoning us to a new life, to a new journey he has for us as disciples, and speaking to each of us those powerful words, believe and follow me. Believe and follow me. Today is the day. Now is the time. As the voice of Jesus is saying to each of us right where we are, repent, believe, and follow now and forever. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much that you did send your your one dear son, Lord, to reach out to us, to give his life for us, and then to say to us, believe and follow. So we ask, Father, that you would move us in our hearts and minds and spirits that we may hear that word and follow you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.